Good morning. It's the first time I've gotten to use the big pulpit. It's been more than a year since I was last up here. And uh, Happy New Year to you all. Isn't it an advantage here in Colorado that we can watch the ball drop in Times Square at 10 p.m. instead of midnight and then get a couple extra hours of sleep? Like usual, I'm going to pull a lot of verses from a lot of parts of the Bible because it is easier for me when God writes the words. This one, this uh, sermon has been in my folder for more than a year and has had lots of time to stew. And I must thank my editor for helping me pull my web of scattered thoughts into a more linear talk. Today I want to talk to you about mundane life. So let's start with a definition. Mundane, adjective. Lacking interest or excitement, dull. Similar words are boring, tedious, monotonous, unexciting, uneventful, unremarkable, repetitive, routine, ordinary. It seemed right to start the year talking about everyday, ordinary life. Often we want to focus on doing big things in the new year, doing something extraordinary for God, but most of us will be living ordinary, mundane lives in 2023. So the question is, how do we live faithfully? How do we include being Christian in our normal daily lives? So let's look at what the scripture says are some hallmarks of a faithful life. These are our goals, the ideals that we want to live, to achieve, to live for, Philippians 1.27 says, Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Hebrews 12.1 encourages us, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. And similar on that endurance thought, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Our passage of Colossians 3 had several tasks for various roles and then some for everybody. I'd like to specifically pull out verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Similar to that is 1 Corinthians 10.31, where it says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Then Romans 12 has, verses 17 through 19, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. 
Finally, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Wow, that's a heavy list. So, to sum up, be so good that people gossip about your goodness. Lay aside every sin and pushing hard for godliness and don't get tired of working for good. Give thanks in all things and do it all with love over and over. Be steadfast peace lovers, not looking to right other people's wrongdoing. Whew, that paints a pretty full picture. So these verses show us the ideals that we should strive for, but they're not the basis for our salvation or a way of earning God's approval. Rather, they are the overflow of what a life with Jesus looks like. He's not looking to weigh us down with this list. Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light, Matthew 11.30. Compared to the Pharisees who tie up great burdens for the normal man, Matthew 23, verse 4. They did this by adding more laws and more ways to measure righteousness. And righteousness is not to be measured because it's not mine that counts. Christ's righteousness is credited to us. So let's continue looking at what the Bible says about ways to practically live out those ideals. Opportunities to practice these marks of our discipleship abound. Deuteronomy 15.11 For there will never cease to be poor people in the land. That is why I am commanding you, open your hand willingly to the poor and the needy brother in your land. There will always be poor who could use a helping hand. As long as human nature persists, there will always be inequality. But each inequality is an opportunity to show love. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 25, verses 37 through 40. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. God takes kindness and mercy shown to others as kindness and mercy shown to himself. Let's look at another example from Jesus, whom we are to imitate. Matthew 9, verses 10 through 13. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when, now when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus quotes Hosea 6, verse 6 at the Pharisees. And this is pointing us back towards the heart of the matter. Mercy is God's heart. And he most delights in showing it, showing it to and through us. 
Do the lost people in our lives see us as safe and loving, as some people that they can turn to when they need help? Or do they see us as judgmental and dismissive? Luke 6, 35 and 36 says, But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And this applies to me as much as it does to you. Be aware. Help one person at a time. Like a gentle whisper, breathe life into those around you. Sometimes a person just needs someone to acknowledge that they are human, to listen to their story, maybe buy them some lunch. Oftentimes, I find I don't have a free hand to help because I'm just holding on to my comforts too tightly. So my hands aren't empty when they need to be. I'm busy, preoccupied, missing opportunities. And how many of you would say the same? What is keeping you from being the tangible mercy and goodness of God to those around you? Showing love to everyone around us would be much simpler if we could get rid of our sinful nature, our selfish nature. I'm looking forward to Pastor Matthew getting to Romans 7 because it is such a picture of the struggle. It soothes me to see that even Paul had this same struggle. And he says in Romans 7, verses 18 and 19, For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. What we see in the scriptures and in our own lives is that while we want to live good lives that bring glory to God, we often fall short because of our own physical and spiritual limitations. There are more people that need help than we can reach. Suffering has complex causes that cannot be solved with a dollar bill at the stop sign or a single cup of coffee. We see such immense tasks that we cannot complete, and there's temptation to just throw up our hands and say, why even try? There are so many things to do, and none of us can do everything. But don't give up. Remember those verses about endurance and continuing on. Don't be dragged down by the snares of guilt and distraction. I'm not saying you have to be perfect, because I know that's humanly impossible. But wouldn't it be amazing if we could be constantly tuned in to God's heart and be constantly helping it? ease the hurt all around us. But none of us can. We are finite beings. None of us can shoulder the whole world and all of its sufferings. I'm sure most of you have heard the story of the boy at the beach with the starfish, but it's short, so I'll share it for those who haven't. One day, a man is walking along the beach when he noticed a boy picking things up and gently throwing them into the ocean. And the man goes over and says, Young man, what are you doing? And the boy grabs a starfish, tosses it into the ocean. He says, the tide is up, 
or the surf is up, but the tide is going out. If I don't throw them back in, they'll die. And the man says, sadly, look, the beach is miles and miles long, and there are hundreds of starfish. You can't make a difference. After listening politely, the boy bends over, grabs another one, tosses it into the ocean, and says, I made a difference to that one. Your scope of work is not the whole beach. Be aware of what is in your control. Own what you control and don't fret about what you can't. Another obstacle that can pop up in our way is greed. Fight greed with generosity. If you think you need more than you have, go give something away and see how your life changes. For most of us, we have options. If you give away your sneakers, you have boots and loafers and flip-flops and sandals. So you give something away and not much changes. The need for more could also come from stress and not greed, from thinking that there's not enough to cover what is ahead of you. And your haste and stress is something that we get caught up in. We recognize that our resources are limited. And so we rush to get the results that we want before we run out and have no more control. In Matthew 6, verse 34, Jesus tells us not to worry about our needs because God will provide for us. And have you found that just saying, stop worrying about it, does not help you stop worrying? Because I know it doesn't for me. We have to take conscious action to fight fear. Fight that haste and panic with the idea of God's sovereignty. And not just the concept, but real life examples. Look at how those who went before us reminded themselves of God's protection and provision. In Joshua 4, verses 20 through 22. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the 12 stones that they had taken from the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your children ask their fathers, What is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Right here. In 1 Samuel 7.12, Afterward, Samuel took a stone and he set it upright between Mizpah and Shen and he named it Ebenezer, explaining God has helped us to this point. And the implication there is God will continue to help us afterwards. If you ask me about my career, I will tell you that about the tight timelines on job changes and the small details that matched perfectly and how everything was orchestrated to avoid my bad negotiating skills because God is merciful. And it's those stories that I hold on to tightly, those Ebenezers from my own life that allow me to breathe again and not panic about where resources will come from or how it will all come together in the end. Are you rushed and stressed, worried about how to fit all the things into your day that already seem... It's full when there's so much that is urgent and important. Fight it with quiet time in the morning. It sounds wrong to add another thing to an already full day, but put God first and these things will be added to you. 
when I feel a need to accomplish my task list under my, under my own power, all by myself, that's when I feel overwhelmed about all that I can't do. That stress is fear, and that feeling of rushing to keep things together is pride in my own skills and abilities. Fight, <clears throat> fight pride with submission. Start each day with acknowledging that God is bigger and better and stronger and actively protecting you. He has a plan that your life fits into. Not just a plan for your life, but a plan that is bigger into which you fit. Imposter syndrome is a common issue in my industry. Let's say com some computer code that I write is not doing what it should. And I've spent at least an hour just staring at it, trying to figure out why. My mind starts spiraling, and I think, I'm, I'm going to fail at this task. And my boss is going to realize that I'm not actually good at this. And then I'm going to get fired, and I won't be able to pay the mortgage, and my family will leave me, and my life will crumble, and I'll just be alone because that's all I deserve. Oh, wait, that variable name's misspelled. Okay, okay, the code works now. I'm fine. Everything's fine. This, this fragile mindset is something that I've seen in myself and several coworkers. It is so common in my industry that there are memes about it. And the programmers get on and they chuckle about this because it, it hurts, because it's true. Fight it with the assurance that your worth is not reliant on your skill, on your performance, on any value that you're bringing, you are who God says you are. And he is holding your life. It's a little easier for me when I remember what he has already done in my life. He's got me, and I can trust him. And you can trust him too. Psalms 27, verse 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. The courageous thing here is to trust and be patient. Be smart, order your list and work on what you can, and wait for God to resolve what you cannot work on. Finally, be an encouragement to those around you, to anyone, however you can. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 10, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. The gifts are not just the list of spiritual gifts. Each of us is gifted in some way. The drummers who perform up here are gifted with more rhythm and coordination than I have. The pedal and the drum, and it's, I don't know how they do it. And for those of you who have been here a while, do you remember that painting that Nate Potter did of Habakkuk for Pastor Don when Don was preaching through Habakkuk? That painting is still one of Don's most prized possessions. And it's another good example of using your gifts to love one another. 
So how do we live out daily faithfulness since we are called to that rather than to grand gestures of spectacular variety? And since we have realized our own weakness and limitations, we do it by repeated small faithfulness in the mundane areas of life. How many of you remember The Karate Kid? Or even the remake with Jackie Chan teaching Kung Fu. Don't know why they still call it Karate Kid when it's Kung Fu. Instead of Pat Morita teaching karate. Both have a montage of the student doing repetitive tasks over and over to build muscle memory. And then at the end of the montage, we discover that karate was in the action all along. Paint the fence and wax on and wax off are blocks to counter strikes. Take off the jacket and hang it up is redirecting an opponent. And waving my arms around loses my place on the page. (laughs) The concept here is that when it is baked into your everyday life, it is inseparable from you. The Christian life is not natural. It takes constant effort. There is momentum, and practice keeps it up and makes it easier. But if you are only adding to the momentum on Sunday morning, you will not get far, and the friction of life can stop you in your tracks some days. When you mop the floor for Jesus, it doesn't take special effort to stand your ground for Jesus or give credit to Jesus. Jesus is the karate, the kung fu, that you practice by living your life one action at a time. Let's unpack that a little bit. When you wipe off the kitchen counter, do you do it like I do? Take a damp rag and push it all the way up to the backsplash, then over a little and all the way back down to knock the crumbs and other bits on the floor for vacuuming later. Then up, new column, down. Up, new column, down. What is that pattern like? It's like the blood on the doorposts of the first Passover. Up this post, over the top down this post, up, over, down. As you wipe the counter, think of how you are marked in the blood so that judgment passes over. Up, over, down. If you're more auditory than haptic or kinesthetic, then whisper a prayer that gives thanks for being paid for and for judgment passing by as you wipe the counter. Vacuum the rug. Yeah, I know, you did that already last year. When you find time again this year, vacuum the rug and thank God that you do not need additional atonement as he paid once for all. Do the laundry, knowing that God is stronger than bleach on the sin staining you. You are washed whiter than snow, even if your socks are not. When you are tempted to grumble about packing lunches and running errands, use it as an opportunity to pray for the family members and friends that you are serving. When I was working this out and writing it, there was an emotional response of, wow, that is so cheesy, even I will cringe. And I think that that is part of the conditioning that our culture has put on us. But we need these reminders. Find these connections and stand up your Ebenezer stones. Have those reminders in your life. Why cringe and turn away if it's effective? 
Look at the attitude of David, which earned him the title man after God's own heart. In 2 Samuel verse, chapter 6, verse 21 and 22, David said to his wife, Michael, it, meaning his dancing, that was in discussion here, my dancing was before the Lord, who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Because it was for the Lord God, and David was working with a mindset that said no other audience matters. That's what I need. That's what you need. We need to stop putting personal image and dignity higher as a higher priority than our God. So, grasshopper, wipe the counter. Vacuum the rug. And have Jesus on your mind through it all. Our God is real, and he wants a personal relationship with you. He wants to meet you in the valleys and plateaus of life, and not just the mountaintops. One of my brothers is exceedingly good at finding four-leaf clovers. And afterward, I've, I learned that it is something he takes as a sign of God's provision. And since he made that connection, our personal God has made an abundance of four-leaf clovers in mom's yard. Clover grows in patches of maybe three feet or so. And up here on the stage, we could easily have four that don't touch each other. And my brother would find a four-leaf clover in two of them, at least. And so now, when I, find, when I can't find a four-leaf clover, and I see that he does, looking in the same patch of clover, it reminds me, our God is personal and he is invested in that personal relationship with my brother, reminding him of his provision over and over and his protection. Our God is powerful, and he can make the four-leaf clover grow anywhere. Be assured of God, taking his time to move the big things into place at the right time. He will pile on the little things and the signs to remind you that the big things are coming, in the right timing. We are so used to immediate cause and effect. We grow up learning the physical laws and limitations of life so that we can get a, a handle on adult life. God does not have those limits. And so it is difficult for us to include him in our plans because we assume boundaries and limits in our plan making. But his ways are not our ways. His are bigger and better. So be assured and be steady. Walk your daily life with your steps in the right order. Keep walking. Keep faithful in the small things and they will become the big things. If it really is as simple as do what you can, baby steps, love Jesus, then why is life hard? Partly because of sin. Partly because we live in hostile territory but mostly because we try to do it ourselves. We accept the guilt and the blame from our inner legalist, that voice of the accuser. We accept the lie that if we try harder, we can be enough. 
we accept the priorities and the panic that the world is feeding us. And each of those pushes our eyes off of Jesus. The guilt weighs us down. The striving forces tunnel vision. And the panic keeps our eyes swiveling constantly to catch what's coming next. We want progress. We want metrics. We want to pad our pride with our own accomplishments. We fall into the same trap as Pharisees, tying up heavy loads of requirements and then trying to carry them. Our inner legalist is imagining that God wants perfect performance of the listed actions, which is humanly impossible. We can't. The good news is that we are not called to do this in our own power. Remember 2 Corinthians 12.9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast gladly all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. We are equipped and enabled through a power much greater than our own. In Hosea 6.6, God says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. He's not looking for sacrifice. He's not looking for your list of actions and achievements. He is looking for that glow of warmth that comes from understanding and reflecting his love. He is looking for that personal relationship with you. Our God is a personal God. He's not some corporate entity that we have to go through customer service to get the attention of. He is immense enough that he can have individual connections and relations with each of you at the same time. And these other things, like that heavy list at the start, they will be natural actions of someone who is following closely behind Jesus. So breathe. There is now no condemnation, nor performance requirement, nor measure to fill. God gave you a conscience. Breathe and listen to it. Do what you can in the direction you know is good, and trust that however far you get is where God wanted you. As they made a huge point of saying in Frozen 2, just do the next right thing. It even got its own song. It was, it was nice. I'm, I'm often amused when I can find big spiritual truths in non-spiritual places, and how even watching kids' movies you can be reminded of these important things. I would also say, don't get paralyzed trying to figure out what the next right thing is. Just do a thing that's not a wrong thing. We climb the mountain not in leaps and bounds, but in small, steady, continuous steps. So let me leave you with Paul's admonition from Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, do it from the heart, as something done for the Lord and not for people. Our God is real. Keep him in mind and do the little things. As Grace Church likes to say, we're here to help you get one step closer to Jesus. That is all we're aiming for, one step at a time. 
So take a step, and then another, and another. We have our elder, Jonathan, leading communion for us today.